The Pellicle Podcast is sponsored by the wonderful folks at Rode Microphones. We've used Rode mics to make this podcast since our very first episode. I'm a big fan of the NT1, their vintage voice studio condenser, which we use for our voiceovers and narration. Recently, I've also turned to their reporter handheld mic, which is perfect for capturing interviews in the field. This introduction is being recorded using their best-selling NT-USB Mini, plus a little EQ and compression. It's a brilliant little USB mic that's perfect for improving your audio, especially your video calls. You just stick it on your desk, plug in your headphones, and sound more like you're in a studio. The NT-USB Mini is available now, and it's just £99 RRP. Go check it out at Rode.com. Thanks again to Rode, and now, it's on with the show. Hello, welcome back to the Pellicle Podcast. I'm Matthew Curtis. Thank you so much to all the people who've sent me feedback to the previous episode, episode 25 on modern British beer, where I talked a bit about my recent book of the same name, but I also talked about the goings-on at McKellar, the Danish brewery. And when I say goings-on, I mean the accusations of bullying, toxic workplace culture, and sexual harassment. And a lot of people reached out to me with comments about what I said in the previous episode. And we had some good conversations to come from that. I'm not going to go into that now because you can go back to episode 25 and listen to that. And I encourage you to do so. But what I wanted to draw your attention to is a new podcast by a lady called Kate Bailey called Super Cool Toxic Workplace. This is an essential listen, a 10 part documentary style podcast meticulously researched and produced about the history of these accusations at McKellar. It is an absolutely essential listen. I'm up to episode seven now of the 10-part series, and it's pretty heavy. On one of the episodes, I was out for a run and I actually had to stop running, pause it and just take a breath, take it all in, because it's heavy going. Consider that a content warning. This is about bullying and workplace harassment after all. But I think it's a really crucial listen, especially if you're a man in the beer industry or you're just someone who loves beer. This is crucial education for all of us. And the reason I think it's important to listen to this show is because what's happened at McKellar and earlier in the year at Brewdog, and you saw the Punks with Purpose come out with their open letter, this reflects badly not just on these two large craft breweries. But to the consumer at large, it reflects badly on craft beer as a whole. And these problems are not just exclusive to these breweries. This is something that is present within beer at the moment. And by educating ourselves, by arming ourselves with this information and believing these victims of abuse and the accusations that they're making and centering them in this and allowing them to be heard so that we can move on, that will help other breweries move forward to a more equitable, more open workplace. And the end result of that is not just a more diverse workplace and more welcoming and friendly workplace, but it makes beer as a whole more welcoming. So it's so important we listen to what's happening. So that's super cool, toxic workplace. Go and listen to it. I've put a link to it in the show notes. And if you want to hear my thoughts on Michaela, as I said, go back to the previous episode, number 25, and I talk for about 15 minutes about what's been happening and how I feel about it. Today's episode is one I'm really excited about. I chat to a good friend of mine, but also a brewer I hold in such a high regard. He is an industry leader. I hate that term, but I can't think of anything else to describe him. I'm talking today to Mark Tranter, the founder of Burning Sky Brewery in the village of Furl in Sussex. And more on that in just a minute. But I want to talk about what I'm going to do for the next episode. A few episodes ago, I said I'm going to do a Q&A episode where you can email me with your questions and I will do my best to answer them. And that can be about anything. It can be about this podcast, beer, cider, my book, Modern British Beer. You email me a question to matthew at pellicalmag.com. 
and I will work through as many of these as I can. And I'm going to record that in about two or three weeks time. So you've got a little bit of time to get your question in. I've had a couple of questions through so far, but not enough to make up an hour long show, which is my intention. So think of a question and then email me to matthew at pellicalmag.com. I want to try and keep this exclusive to you, the listeners of the podcast, rather than going to Twitter and Instagram and asking for questions. So it's something that we've got to chat about. And if I don't get that many emails, I will tweet and say, have you got a question you'd like me to answer on the podcast? But do get in touch with me. And just checking in before we continue with the episode, because, you know, I like to just talk about goings on and, and what I've been up to and I'm feeling nervous today because tomorrow I'm getting on a train and heading down to London for less than 24 hours. I'll catch up with some friends very briefly. But the day after that, I'm getting on an aeroplane for the first time in over two years, which will take me to Denver, Colorado. And on the other side, my dad will be waiting and I will then spend two weeks in the United States. And I am really, really nervous about this thing that used to be such a normal thing that I did at least twice a year. And I've got all my certificates, my vaccine certificate, my negative test came through this morning. So, you know, I've got the green light to do it. I just have to physically get myself there, remember all my stuff and then sit on a plane for 10 hours and then I'll be in this place, Colorado, and I'll drive up to Fort Collins where I'll spend most of the two weeks. I can't wait. I'm so looking forward to getting back to a place that is more than just a beer destination or where my dad lives. It's a home from home. It's a second home. I've been traveling there for the past decade and I've met some wonderful people there and some of my favorite places are there as well. And as much as I'm looking forward to getting back to the breweries and the tap rooms, especially Odell Brewing and having that pint of IPA, there's something I've been thinking about and I can't stop thinking about it, is going to my favourite deli, it's called Choice City, and I want to order a Philly cheesesteak sandwich and a side of green chilli and a pint of IPA at lunchtime and just sit there and the only thing that's going to matter to me in the moment is this sandwich and the best green chilli I've ever tried and this pint, and if I'm lucky that pint might be Pliny the Elder. Sometimes they have it on tap, I don't know, I've not been over there for two years. Whatever I have on tap, I'm sure it'll be wonderful. But that moment is something that I am fixated on at the moment, something that is so grounding for me. And I'm thinking about that first morning, waking up really early because I'll be jet lagged. It'll be six, seven in the morning, having a little bit of breakfast and some coffee, going for that first run on the Spring Creek Trail and then coming back through town, gazing at the foothills of the Rocky Mountains in the distance and then getting ready to just head out into town have this lunch and then just switch off. What am I going to do next? What do I want to do? Am I going to go here for another beer? Am I going to walk along this trail for a bit? I don't know. That's so exciting to me. Something that's so normal, that was so normal before the pandemic, that is now this kind of alien thing because it's been so long since I've done it. So by the time this episode airs, I will be in America. I've scheduled this for a week in the future to spread the pellicle content out a bit and give me a bit of breathing room doing the follow-up episode, the Q&A in a couple of weeks time. If you follow me on Twitter and Instagram, which I'm sure if you're listening to this, you do, then you'll be able to catch up with what I'm basically eating and drinking in America. That's about it. I can't wait. But now let's get on with today's episode. As I said, it's with Mark Tranter, the founder of Burning Sky Brewery in Sussex. Now, Burning Sky for me are such an important brewery in the history of the UK. They were probably the first UK brewery, alongside probably the Wild Beer Co. in Somerset, to establish a barrel aging program in terms of mixed fermentation and what you might call sour or acidic beers. Not that I would really describe their barrel-aged beers as sours. These are Belgian-inspired, Saison, farmhouse beers made in an actual farmhouse. And they have been trailblazers in this regard. And the beers, for me, are peerless. They're absolutely delicious. Beers like Saison Anniversaire and Cuvée and Rustique. They're just magical beers that I 
savour, whether it's just a casual bottle, if such a thing can exist, and if you have a beer like that shared with friends, or I always open a bottle of their beer on Christmas morning. It's a special beer for me. But they don't just make these wild fermented beers. They also make amazing cask ale. Beers like Plateau and Porter. They also make amazing Belgian-style beers, clean beers, by which I mean wheat beers and hoppy Belgian-style pale ales. They also make very bitter American-style IPAs, which I love. But their beers have a singular sense that is very much theirs. I've talked about this in previous podcasts. Burning Sky beers taste like Burning Sky beers. They taste of a time and a place and this specific brewery. And it's a great team there, headed up by Mark, who I chat to today, who founded the brewery in 2013. But Mark is an incredibly experienced brewer who, as a home brewer in the mid-90s, landed a job at a pub called the Evening Star and the fledgling Dark Star Brewery. Dark Star now a part of Asahi because Fuller's bought Dark Star and Asahi bought Fuller's. So it's a very different brewery to the one Mark worked at for 17 years. But in opening Burning Sky, he was able to do something very much of his vision. And it's a brewery that's not hell-bent on expansion and growth, although it has grown a little bit over the years it's been in existence. But it feels like a brewery that's very settled, nestled right in the centre of the South Downs in Sussex, one of the most beautiful places in the UK. The village they're in is called Furl, and it's about a five-mile trip from Lewis, a town I like to visit at least once a year. Lewis is home to Harvey's Brewery, but also now home to other new breweries like Beak and Abyss. And it's also home to some of the best pubs in the country, including a couple of my favourites, Patch Beer Cafe and the Brewer's Arms. It's a must visit. It's a really interesting place set right in the South Downs National Park. And this sense of place is very much present in Mark's attitude to beer and to life and to everything, really. I was down there in the summer at the end of July to brew a beer called the Broad Spectrum of Joy, which was brewed to celebrate the launch of my book, Modern British Beer. And we drank that at the launch party and it was very, very good. It was a West Coast style pale ale with Simcoe, Amarillo and Mosaic hops. Very delicious, very easy drinking. The days I was there, it was scorching hot like the south of France. Mark and I initially sat down outside the brewery and I thought in my mind, everything's winding down and we'll get a good recording, sit outside, enjoy a bit of sunshine and then we'll go and have some more beers at the pub. But no, this is a working brewery, and Furl, for a small village, it's also a working farm, so it's remarkably noisy. So we recorded the first third of the interview until a huge articulated lorry arrived to load pallets of beer from the brewery on. You'll hear it cut at one point, a little musical play, and then we moved to the churchyard opposite the brewery and sat in the middle of a graveyard, which I think Mark enjoyed, as did I, and finished the interview. And you can actually hear the sound of the birds and sometimes an insect buzzes by outside across the microphone. So you're very much in the middle of the countryside in the middle of the summer. But I hope you'll agree that it's a really fascinating interview with Mark. Always a pleasure to sit down and speak to him. He's just one of the most wonderful people in beer. And I'm glad I got the opportunity to record this interview. So without further ado, I'm going to cut straight to it. This is Mark Tranter of Burning Sky Brewery in Sussex. Welcome back to the Pellicle Podcast. I'm with Mark Tranter of the fantastic Burning Sky Brewery here in the village of Furl in the the glorious sunshine of Sussex. How are you, Mark? Not too bad. Feeling a bit, uh, yeah, heat's making me lethargic, and uh, but hopefully we'll. We did just have a couple of uh, uh, of pints of a, a rise at we the did, Ram yeah, around the corner. Was, uh, lunchtime might have been a bad idea, but uh, <laughs> it was a tasty idea at the time. I think I think it's fine. It, it, we're probably a bit more relaxed, and uh, hopefully we won't burn to a crisp out out here in this in this amazing sunshine. Um, how are how are things at Burning Sky? How how have you been? It's been a, a a mad, difficult eighteen months, right? Yeah, I mean it has been for everyone. I think you know had the initial moment where you 
sort of feel like everything's crashing down around you. Um, you know, we're, we're a small brewery and we've um, we've been well, you know, as people and as a and as a brewery through the whole of the pandemic. And, you know, we're fortunate enough to have had an online shop and having just put a canning line in to complement our sort of you know, sporadic bottle releases that we do of mixed fermentation beer. So we've just carried on in like a fairly subdued fashion, but we've come through everything fairly well, I believe. So that that's has that been your reaction through the pandemic, really? Like uh, cans have been a lifeline, I guess, for you? They have. I mean, we put the, our canning line in and about three months before, three or four months before uh, COVID hit the UK. And it quickly was, you know, we were running it between two, you know, every day, like, during the, especially during the first lockdown. Mm. So it has been a, it's been a saviour and it's helped keep us, you know, helped us keep beer flowing and we'll always be eternally grateful to all the our online customers and all the independent retailers who supported us throughout and have continued to support us. And you, uh, it's kind of a big move for you going into cans, really, because you were uh, in bottles for a bit longer than, than some other breweries. Uh, how, how has that transition of putting your beer into cans? Have you have you in, enjoyed that process? Do you enjoy being able to pick up a can of Burning Sky? I do. I have to say, you know, there's always like a bit of a I liked having our beer in bottles and you know we the bottling line we had just wasn't ever going to be fast enough for us so I was looking at originally looking at a faster bottling line and then I just started thinking are we ever going to sell more 330 mil bottles and I started to realize that our modern you know our small not the sharing bottles but the you know the clean beers were starting to look a bit antiquated in the shelves so we made the decision to do bottling separate and do all the fresh beers with the exception of a couple of crossovers into can where do you draw because you i really want to talk about how you are a brewery that produces both what we would call clean beers you know pale ales and, mm. and ipas but you also produce mixed and spontaneous and wild and I mean your brewery isn't literally in a farmhouse you could call them farmhouse beers where did you draw the line for those cans because I know one of my favorite Burning Sky beers Saison a la provision or prov Mm. as you uh, (laughs) lovingly call it at this brewery um, that beer did not it was in small bottles but it did not make it into cans yes Um, why why did you draw the line there and put it into... Because you, you can get that beer in 750 mil bottles now. But not. But you do do the petite saison yeah. in, in um, cans. I don't know, maybe I should have sought some advice on that or something. But, um, mm. I think with the Provision, we always felt it's like a beer that does develop mm. quite a lot. The petite, not so much so, because of the... You know, it's done the time it spends in barrels it's done as much as it's really going to do it doesn't change that much over time whereas the provision even without even when it was forced carbonated in small bottles did change and the, the i guess our belief was it was it warranted to be in a sharing bottle it was the beer that was the, the brewery's first mixed fermentation uh. product and it started life in 750s yeah. initially so it just returned to 750s yeah um, and that because you know, drink it now the ones that are in 750 mil bottles and the development is it's quite amazing to see does it does it change i mean it's probably worth saying to people listening the difference so petite saison is a, is a low abv beer you do that's a, a mixture of barrel fermented beer and fresh beer right it's 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 not uh, is it it's all barrel. Oh, it's all barrel aged. Okay, it's I thought it was like aged. a blend. Um, it's all barrel. It's not barrel fermented. It's all barrel aged. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a small. That petite saison is a small sort of lower ABV beer. Yeah, lower ABV mixed fermentation beer. It then has a light dry hop at the end, just to lift it and make it taste a bit fresher. Mm-hmm. But you still get the complexities of the barrel aging. Mm. So you get the the funkiness and a bit of acidity to it and um, and then with a light dry hop that sort of lifts, you know, lifts it to give it some sort of grassy and citrus notes 
and pr but provision is for many way for me it feels like the the beer you built the brewery on um it was the first beer you ever brewed right it's a sort of a strong belgian inspired saison beer yeah. but with it's um aged in these big wooden uh, vats you call fooders yes um what does th what does that beer mean to you in burning sky it feels like uh, quite a grounding beer for what you try to do here for me um, what it means to me is that we, with no experience, we were able to do what I dreamt of being able to do. Mm -hmm. I've been brewing. I've been brewing for quite a long time before I started Burning Sky, and I had absolutely no experience of uh, mixed fermentation beers, barrel-aged beers, anything so, like that. So you went in completely blind to that first. Yeah. Of, well, not um, blind. You've probably done your research, but you. You'd I not did done some research, before. but I didn't have any experience. Mm. That beer is where our journey down this slightly overgrown track uh, started, you know, with a few mediations and meanderings along the way. What's the importance to you, though, of investing time in both what we call clean beers? You're, you're very popular, you do cask beer, sort of, well, traditional format, but they're very modern beers for cask. You do very modern American-influenced um, IPAs and pale ales, and then you do this very Belgian-inspired farmhouse tradition. What's the important in investing all in all of those different styles of brewing? What? Why do you do that? Uh, probably because I'm stupid. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I think those are like the brewery is built about a, a genuine love of beer, mm. um, and I know everyone always says that, and then everyone always says we only make the beer that we want to drink. But it's true, you know, and I, but I, the, the beer I drink the most of is probably going to be something like a rise, but Belgian beers were what made me question what beer could be in the first place back in the 90s. Mm. And I had a rekindled sort of love affair with them that started in about 2010. I took the first of many uh, trips with my friend Eddie Gad from Gad's Brewery in Ramsgate. Mm to Belgium on those little odysseys that there's so much out there you know when we're a small brewery that makes many different things because we don't didn't want to just be a brewery that made one beer you know the idea is to have something that keeps your interest mm. and you know, you've got the clean beers that you know as with any brewery we're absolutely anal about in terms of you know oxygen and, la -la -la and cleanliness and procedures to make sure it tastes the same every time and and then with the wild beers there's like a bit of a you're kind of like a janitor we've learned a lot from them but we also know you, you know there's only so much you can do mm. so it's quite a nice counterweight for the rest of the brewery well this pigeon behind me in this tree seems to like it a lot so i think that's i think that's a vote of approval <laughs> yeah we've got like i think it might be a sparrow now there's a blackbird earlier <laughs> There's a, lot, there's a lot of tweeting happening around us. Well, just, that's because you've been in there. Yeah, it's, it's all me. I've, uh, it's just been a non-stop social media fun ride. We, we are here brewing a beer, um, which I'm very grateful for to celebrate, which is going to be to celebrate the launch of, of my book. But let's not talk about... I'm not here to talk about me, I'm here <laughs> to talk about you. Um, you just mentioned that you'd been brewing for a long time. Um, why don't you just tell me a little bit about, about that? How long have you been brewing? You know, two, two decades? Uh, 25 years. 25 years. And your career began um, in the basement of a pub in Brighton called did, yeah. The Evening Star. How did that come about? Because weren't you studying fine art? I did study fine art and then I moved to Brighton and I was like helping my mate out with his record label and putting punk rock bands on and... Mm. You know, all this sort of shenanigans, and I was cooking in a pub, a vegetarian pub in Brighton as well. What was the record label? Uh, Tiny, it was like, uh, never made any money, but it got us lots of free records. Uh, good refuse neck. Yeah. Uh, um, but he, my mate, who, he moved down from Manchester and he'd been doing it, so I, you know, I didn't really have much to do, so I enjoyed helping him out. And uh, yeah. And then I got offered a job, a bit of home brewing and stuff. It probably tasted utterly foul, but somehow uh, Rob Jones, who founded Dark Star, he needed some help, and I guess he saw that I was really keen on this stuff, and um, 
he just offered me a job and it went from there and I, I sort of stopped working in the pub kitchen and moved up the road to another pub and worked in the cellar making beer. So you, you were there really, was that the inception of, I mean Dark Star Brewery for those that don't know is now, it's, well it's part of Asahi now, it was bought mm. by Fuller's and then Fuller's was bought by Asahi so, but it used to be this tiny brewery in in the basement of the Evening Star near Brighton train station. What was that like back then, like developing recipes like, like Hophead? How, um, how was that for you? It was fun. I mean, you know, I was very young and um, enjoyed working with Rob because he gave me a lot of autonomy. Mm. And um, I respond, that's something that I respond well to. I work well under my own steam. And if someone can see, you know, trust me, then I, I won't let, you know, I will always work hard to ensure that tr- that trust has been well appointed but Rob is an interesting character anyway and still is an interesting character uh, he started life as a home brewer but at the time there wasn't much you know beer, like beer in the UK was mainly like brown bitter and macro lager mm. you know and Rob was an interesting person for me to start working with because he was already he was interested in world beers and um we're making wheat beers with you know coriander and stuff in and you get some hops come back via a friend you know from the state so that's when we started making you know using a lot of uh, u.s hops in like the sort of mid late 90s and that's how hophead came about it was originally like it was a single hop beer it was originally four percent and it was a single hop no 4.2 percent i think there's a single hot beer and the, the hops varieties changed each one and then everyone really liked this you know the one with cascading so that's what hophead became mm. and yeah we refined it over time we dropped the abv we made it a bit, a bit less bitter than it was to start with and yeah i remember going you know going to beer festivals when there's a seba competitions and it was about 2001 2002 and i could hear people you know some of the sort of old school people there saying uh how over unbalanced this beer was and how disgusting it was <laughs> and uh, I think I've obviously made a habit of making disgusting beers um, but you know that same thing we had entered seven beers and we won seven gold medals so I was quite pleased that's brilliant and you were there for what 17 years on and off yeah 17 years um, 12 of those were le- very intense as in from when it grew, grew, moved from being more of a yeah, I worked like five days a week in the cellar of the Evening Star, but when we moved out of there in 2001, yeah, when, that's when it got a bit more serious. And how did that time at Dark Star influence your approach to brewing and Burning Sky? Well, I was a head brewer there for a long time, and so therefore I was responsible for all the recipes, you know, and they used to do have like a... They used to have a special beer for every you know release for every month as well as the core beer so about 14 months ahead of you know usually in october of the year before i'd have to decide what we were going to brew for the rest of the year right and write tasting notes these beers i'd never made you know which was quite interesting so um but it gave me a good springboard for um experimentation and having the the courage to do things that are maybe outside of what your existing capabilities are and just researching that and um, hoping that the knowledge you've acquired in different areas is going to sustain you to be able to do these weird and wonderful things that you are yet to get experience with. Mm. I imagine the the beer industry has probably changed quite a lot in, in your time in it in, here in the UK. What do you feel like the biggest change has been over the, the last couple of decades? D- does it feel different? It feels different all the time. Um, maybe not so. Maybe the changes aren't as great at the moment. No, we're kind of on a sort of uh, a hiatus from moving on. You know, we're trying to get through yeah. through the big pandemic, aren't we? But we are. But you know, it's, it's changed from you know when I started brewing at the Evening Star. Like there was no one in my age demographic even drinking these you know well, very few people drinking these sort of beers let alone brewing them and you know then it's you know we go fast forward on a, like almost a decade and you know thornbridge open 
in the first brews there were my friends Kelly Ryan and Stefano Cossi. Mm. Um, I know Kelly. He he uh, very kindly showed me my partner around Wellington. Yeah, uh, and he's a once. great guy. Um, so you see, uh, suddenly the, there was more and more breweries started to pop up. Mm. Um, a lot of them still doing traditional beer styles. But there was slowly an, in, uh, an interest in keg beers and of course you know brew dog started in what was it 2007 or something mm. and gone on to become this massive company so the changes you know a lot of the change has been from traditional beers to an interest in ipas like the biggest beer in the world isn't it you know craft beer in the world yes yeah um i guess the the biggest one of the biggest changes seen like you know real beer drinkers you know the move to keg yeah, I guess I guess in the '90s there was no like keg hoppy pales like there are now. No. Like they're so there was like late '90s there was pale hoppy cask beers, but there's no keg beers. And then and cask beers are a great thing when it's well kept, but uh, mm. there's a lot more sort of ease of you know transportation of keg beer and serving keg beer, and it appeals to people. Beer wasn't fashionable. Beer is now fashionable. There is only two types of beer brown beer and lager macro lager essentially now there's loads of types of beer there's loads of formats for beer um it's very social like the whole tap room phenomenon that's come over from the states as well mm. um people love drinking at the source it was a big jump to start with over the first decade and now like the changes are smaller but then nonetheless uh, yeah, that doesn't make them less interesting. I'm going to be quite blunt here. It feels to me as though Burning Sky are a pretty progressive brewery in, in terms of, of modern British beer. And I think that's an understatement. Was that was that the idea when you opened this brewery? Was was there intent to be this kind of progressive brewery, or did you really just want to make the beer, as you said before, the beer you wanted to drink? Well, of course, we wanted to make things that we'd be proud of and wanted to drink. Um, there was certainly a lot of intent with the brewery, but not not in an egotistical. Well, there's always ego involved, but the not in a way that we thought we we're going to be influential. We set out to be influential. You know, there's nothing new about what we're doing. It's, you know, we're making UK and US-style beers and we're making Belgium-style beers and we're just doing, you know, we're just we're making them our own in that time as well. So it wasn't an intention to be influential. It was, an, if anything, to make some kind of valid contribution, I guess. Um, to do things that were a bit different to what a lot of other people in the UK at the time were doing and to try and succeed, you know, and to have a stab about at making these things that I'd had no experience with but had a huge love and respect for other people's traditions and the beers, the wonderful beers that have been produced around the world. Why did you decide decide to make the home of Burning Sky down here in, in this uh, idyllic village of Furl in, in Sussex? I mean, literally in the South Downs, so it's, it's beautiful around here. Especially today, there's not a cloud in the sky. But you could have set Burning Sky up in Brighton or, or, or a bigger city, but you chose to be out here in what is, in UK terms, a very remote location. So what, what's the importance of this location to the brewery? I mean, this is like a tenanted estate with, you know, Lord of the Manor, and I live in a house with my partner, you know, a few miles east of here. The location was, you know, very, especially at the time, was very important to me insofar as I spend as much time as I can outside. There, there was a lot of inspiration. You know, ideas come to me when I'm outside, or usually on the downs because that's where I live. Mm. You know? So the idea was to make it somewhere that was not a hassle to, for me to get to it was a very selfish move you know it was I didn't want to be driving 45 miles each uh, 45 minutes each way to which is what I had been doing previously mm. um, yeah I could have put the brewery and industrial estate in Lewis or New Haven but to be perfectly honest yeah I didn't 
have that much money spare when I started this brewery and the rent prices on the industrial estates were yeah, they seemed astronomical to someone who had no experience of you know, the experience I had was solely brewing. Mm. Not running brewery and brewing as well. Feels like you really looked out with this location then. I mean it's, it's you know, you're a farmhouse brewery. Uh, and this in a real farmhouse, which you know, not a lot of UK brewers can. Yeah, say. I mean, yeah, things are always looking more idyllic when the sun's out. That's for sure. And you know, yes. and it's it's about as good yeah. as it could possibly look today. Yeah, to I know. You picked your time. I mean, if it's pissing down with rain, it's not as. And there, there's pros and cons of every location. You know, it's like there's cons with our location. There's pros with them, and there's the same with you know, if we'd gone into an industrial estate, there'd have been you know, good things and bad things about that, but it does give us this beautiful place to work and sort of, I guess it's a slight mythology about the the place. Mm. I want to talk about another of your passions very briefly, uh, music, um, your your passion for, for punk music. You know, you mentioned you worked with your friend's record label in Brighton and um, your, I think the best way to talk about this is perhaps your, your can art, you know, your, your good friend Simon Gain mm. uh, draws these beautiful cans, but so often the the characters are, are punks. What what's uh, what does punk mean to uh, Burning Sky Brewery? It means what it's always meant to me, I guess, which is doing it yourself. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, me and Simon grew up together. You know, we've been through a lot together. Um, he's just happens to be a very good artist and... Uh, I can apparently make a half decent beer. Um, we have a we're able to communicate very easily, and you know, the best things are when I just leave him to do his own stuff. And you know, for some reason, it's we've he's kind of settled on doing the the you know, the modern pales and IPAs with the more sort of punky characters, and then the more r- rustic beers with either um, landscapes or scenes with you know people of all walks of life but there's always a sense of conviviality amongst the, the the people scenes often they're depicted like drinking beer and 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 uh, <laughs> and uh, merriment really aren't they yeah exactly there's always supposed to be some sort of celebration going on is and is what is is that the the true reflection of of your beer like like or or does simon just uh, do what he, you know. He just do, does what do he, he wants. wants to do. <laughs> well, and, it's, uh, it's funny you say that because it, they do. I, you know, I, I do think they do are reflective of of part of that that experience. They're you know they're unmistakable from a lot of other uh, breweries uh, branding. Do you, speaking of punk music, do you still play in your band? Oh, we haven't done since yeah the first lockdown. So. It's kind of fallen off a cliff, which is probably a good thing for most people. Um, no doubt it will happen again at some point. People was the name of the band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you play bass? Attempt to, yeah. I, I, I One day I, ho- I hope very much that you do uh, get to play again and I, I get to see it. <laughs> I, 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 well, I, the thing is we're actually getting almost quite good, you know, after a couple of years of knocking it about. And uh, so maybe, maybe we will. Let's talk about your beer. I think that's something that people probably be really interested in hearing. You know, because I mean, and we could spend an hour just talking about those because you do so many. But first, you you know, you are a modern brewery, but you still invest in cask beer. You, you have Plateau and, and Aurora and a few others that come up mm. seasonally, mm. like uh, something I'm very fond of, the the Porter, yes. which appears in November. What's the importance of, of cask to you? And, and do you have any favourites that you make? Well, at different times of the year, there's favourites, yeah. So I like those with yourself, I like the Porter in the, the winter months, I like the Aurora and the Plateau, you know. it's um, They were some of the, Aurora and Plateau were some of the first, res- some of the first recipes written um, for the brewery. And, you know, when we set up, um, there was not so much, um, yeah, the, the beer market in the UK, in the, sorry, this area, was uh, not as progressive as it was in other parts of the country. So we wanted to have a local presence, but be, yeah, we were kind of better known nationally to start with than, than locally. Um, so we made uh, uh, the cask beers predominantly for the local market so that we could garner some 
presence. And, you know, I grew up, the first, some of the first beers I drank were cask beers, the first beers I made were cask beers. They weren't popular for a long time with the sort of more modern breweries, but the breweries sort of represents, to me, a lot of um, history and styles from across the world, and I wasn't going to ignore beer that was quintessentially British as well. You also um, brew a lot of very modern keg beer, lots of um, IPAs, lots of very different IPAs, lots of different modern hop combinations. Mm. What what are some of your your favourites there, and, and why? What's the importance in balancing that? You know that more traditional cask beer. Because you could make more cast beer and surely that turns over quicker. What's the importance of those American-influenced hoppy um, beers to you? They're beers that I like to drink. And, you know, we'd, and again, we're making them in a style that's quite our own. You know, I don't think they're... Yeah, it's not like they're vastly different to any other hoppy pale ale or IPA. But they're always... There's a, they're, they're probably more bitter than a lot of people's beers at the moment. Um, yeah, there's we, we've stuck with using like a cleaner yeast strain. They're, they're just beers that you know I like. Again, yeah, we could make loads of cask beer, or you know, and hell, it would be a lot easier. You know, uh, I'll be perfectly honest. Mm. But um, it's just as the brewery's grown and developed, and we've changed and evolved as people and. And as a team and as a brewery, these are just things we sort of stuck with whilst continuing to do like you know an off you know from almost like an offshoot of our barrel aging project is to have the you know the Belgium influence fresh beers in can as well. So like you know, we're just about to we just yesterday rebrewed uh, a revised recipe of a sort of Belgium wit beer style. Um, mm-hmm. It was one of Tom's. Um, you do one with Dillasen as well, don't you? You do a new alliance. Yeah, it's a sort of Anglo-Belgium pale ale with some New Zealand hops in as well. <laughs> but, you know, that's... And that was very easy working with Ivan from Dillasen because, you know, we've known each other a fair while and um, we seem to enjoy each other's company and each other's beers. Um, we, we certainly, you know, uh, employee a pleasing bitterness with our beers. Oh. I think one of the re- reasons that Burning Sky is, is so treasured by people there is your your barrel aging program, which is one of the first r- real large scale barrel, you know, mixed fermentation beer hmm. programs in the UK. What's the importance of, of that side of the business to you? It's massively important. I mean, it's something that you know is, we do. We'll release, uh, you know, however many different beers a year from that side so it's nothing compared to the volume that goes through as clean beer but it's it's been a the last sort of eight best part of eight years has been a real learning time and um you know to start with you think oh we're just going to do as many different things as possible we had all these ideas we're going to use loads of different yeasts and this that and the other and quickly sort of found out that the best thing to do is to keep it as simple as possible and have in terms of like and have like a house character to make your beers taste like your beers you know i think that's uh that's an important thing is like to not just taste like the beers could have been brewed anywhere by any any random you know um you know the, the great lambics and gerses of belgium you can tell whose they are you, you don't have to look at the label on the bottles and know that's Girardin, that's Cantillon, that's Trifontaine, and that's Bone or whoever, you know. Because they're working with what they've got. And we've been lucky enough to develop our own house mixed fermentation culture, which is Saison, Bretonomyces, Lactobacillus. And then having our spontaneous stuff being out here in the the, the beautiful countryside. But because those spontaneous beers go into well-seasoned barrels, as in barrels that have been used multiply by our mixed fermentation beers, although they're different, there's still that kind of house burning sky flavour. Is that's the that's what runs through it, and I guess you know when you start, you want to be 
brash and make a big statement and do this and you know think we're going to make this beer and we're going to make that beer and we're going to do chuck this in that and this and that and then the best thing is just to you know, we're working with a lot more fruited fruit additions now mm-hmm. but using beers that we understand to make them you know rather than just trying to rather than working with lots of unknowns we're working with knowns and mm. someone and using maybe some fruit that we've not used before to give a hint but we know that what beer is going to work with it so that's um that's where we're heading at the moment and that's you know so is it the barrel aging important to us how important is it to us is really important to us i think beers like saison de pêche are a great example of um of, of that you know that bet that signature house burning sky yeast character and then all of that uh do you, I mean, are you using whole fruit or, or pure yeah, whole fruit yeah. fruit and of course you know, get some people saying oh, it's not peachy enough <laughs> and it's like well not you've got a triple fruit it these days mark yeah, Sing, yeah. single fruiting isn't i mean enough. i think a lot of people using used to tasting beers have just had a shitload of puree yeah bashed into them and again you don't like i like subtleties and nuances it's like i like you don't want to get a plate of food and tip a like bowl full of salt on the top of it you know something that i like is when people are understated with what they do and those beers are usually ones the ones that shine for me when i try them rather than things that are like you think wow that's really flavorful and then it's like oh, i'm going to drink this you know it's like what we want is like beers that you want to carry on drinking and you want to have another one or even if you shouldn't really but you know something mm. if if you make a beer and it's not and you you the yourself or the customer doesn't you know, think well i've had that now mm. then that's not a beer for me and let's talk about that cool ship for a moment because you have this uh this metal container that you uh use in the winter to to make to brew wort and then spontaneously inoculate it but it was actually i believe the first new cool ship built for a uk brewery in about 70 years apparently so i didn't know that but um you know there's a more tenacious uh researchers out there who find these things out and yeah i mean obviously elgood's had started reusing theirs yes before um but it, it it was always part of the plan was to have a cool ship but like you know we're in a bunch of higgledy piggledy buildings and it's not you know probably one of the worst things about where we are is the fact we've got enough square footage it's just it'd be better if it was all together mm. you know so yeah you're in about three three buildings four buildings four buildings yeah. okay <laughs> so um and you know so you're like yeah, anyway it's a bit of a hassle but so space time and money were the sort of reasons we didn't do it to start with mm. and also learning plenty of new things already Sounds, um, like, sounds like a good beer name, that actually. Space, time, and money. <laughs> How is that cool ship program developing? Are you are you pleased with where it's heading so far? What are you three and a bit years in now? Yeah, yeah. It was in yeah, it was about four years, three and a half, four years. I don't know. Lose track. It was two thousand and seventeen. Did the first or two thousand eighteen, two thousand seventeen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so when we started, you know, it was like tied it in with we did our first release to coincide with our fifth birthday. Um, when we just did a mono release of like year old lambic inspired spontaneous beer. Mm-hmm. And then progressively, you know, 2019, we did a blend of one and two year olds. And in 2020, we hit the classic blend of one, two and three year olds. Now we'll don't know where we'll go with it really we'll carry on doing the different blend you know we'll still blend the different years beers um we might use some of this with some of our fruit beers as well again it's like it's one of those things i just wanted to do it for like out of sheer self-indulgence you know and it was like well we were able to do that mixed fermentation now we've been able to do this spontaneous fermentation as well and i was like quite a a bit of a pat on the back and it's always a fun it's a fun day as well it's a fun day we whenever we, we use the cool ship there's never anything else happens in the brewery it's like just a bit of a not a party day but it's like a time where we all just like sort of talk and make a bit of beer and then everyone stands up and watch you know we enjoy always enjoy the cool ship filling and uh yeah it's one of those sort of momentous times mm. 
And you can only do it in the winter, can't you? Because the uh, it, a day like today would be too hot. Oh, yeah, too yeah, hot. Yeah, too much uh, unwanted bacteria floating yeah, and around. Yeah, into the spring, as, into early spring as well is fine. And what's next for that program? Well, how many barrels have you got? Do you, do you know how many you've got in storage? Um, I did count them once, and I think I might have lost count and then given it up because I ran out of fingers. Um, but <laughs> I think we got about somewhere. We had to like retire a few recently. We've. What's involved in that decision? What 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 me- means a barrel's no longer good for beer? Um, sometimes they just like yeah, they just sometimes someone just takes a bit tired, and you know most of the time we can just carry on using them, and you know we don't buy we buy some new barrels every so often. Um, usually a few every year for brewing anniversaire, um, which is needs the white wine character. Um, but generally, we just reuse them and reuse them because they like the the oak character recedes and the house character becomes more dominant, as in the house yeast character. We've got like I don't know, we've got like four, two and a half thousand liter oak fooders. And we've got like some. 750 litre barrels we've got some 500 litre barrels which aren't really in use at the moment because i've got to try and work out where i'm going to put them um then we've got maybe about 150 uh 225 litre wine barrels as well fantastic and it sounds like you've got an exciting new release coming a new um, blend of cuvee which is it's a beer that's it's part your beer and part Girardin. Girardin. Yeah. yeah so that was again that was always something I wanted to do was right from the beginning was buy Lambic from uh, Girardin. I have fortunately had some contacts who had bought beer from them before for someone else. And so I thought, well, this will be a breeze. They know, they know. Took months and months before they would agree to sell us beer. And then like I'd booked them a travel and then they canceled it. They said they were too busy. And then, uh, then we went over again. You convinced and it them. was fine. It was fine, and I, I very much enjoy going to visit Paul and Heidi at Gerardin. I think they're wonderful people. Um, they probably don't think I'm a wonderful person, but you know, I, d- I, I doubt that somehow. Well, they they sell us beer and they trust us, and I think then the second, you know, fortunately the first year that I bought beer from them, um, I bought more than I needed really. Then the next the next year they said no, they didn't have enough beer to sell us. So I thought, well, it's just if I bought more beer. So then I turned up at theirs because I was in Belgium anyway, and they said, oh, what are you doing here? We, don't, we can't sell you any beer. And I gave them a bottle of the beer that we had used their beer in. And I think that was like helped build our relationship together because they knew I wasn't just going to use their beer and sell it on as mine. Mm. There was going to be like, it was as part of a blend. So Cuvée's been going since 2000 and uh, whenever 14 or 15 i can't remember and is um, the new one it's, it uses beer that you weren't able to sell last year because of the pandemic or the no, last, the the last new, of the lambic the, the one that we've got at the moment is it's a release of so the cuvee blend from 2020 we hailed some of it back and put the the, the blend into barrels and aged it further there's only like 650 litres or something this is the sort of release I don't know when we're going to be able to do cuvee again because of one because of Covid so like every time it looked like I might have been able to travel last because we buy young lambic from Girardin and then we age it for like between 12 and 18 months at hours before we use it in the blend so last year I was hoping to go over and buy for this year's cuvee and um course every time it looked like you might have been able to travel you couldn't and you know i can't afford to self-isolate for two weeks and then brexit which is like being snuck you know don't even get me started on that um so we don't really know when we're going to be able to because the paperwork's going to be so difficult now and i'll be paul and heidi don't have time to do loads of extra paperwork so i'm not sure how we're going to get it sorted hopefully we'll find a way but i don't know when it will be so this is like a bit of a point, well it says on the label, it's a poignant release because something we always dreamt about doing that became possible is now because of world events, not possible for the time being. And there's what, 600 bottles? 
There's about 600 bottles and a very limited number of magnums. Okay, well that's one to, to look out for and try and get hold of a bottle. And there's a release that was done with the beer that I originally brewed at Thornbridge as well, that they shipped down them and we blended. They released a load of it last year as a mono blend and we've like aged it further and then blended it with some of our beers and that's coming out as well. Fantastic. So, coming back to a bit more local, you, uh, this is about my fourth visit to, to the brewery, and you've grown a little bit. You've got more fermentation capacity, you've got the, the canning line, um, you've got, you, you say you've got four units. Is this enough, do you think? Would you ever want to, to grow any, any bigger than you are now? You know, you always want things you haven't got, but um, I don't think I want any more headaches. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and talk about like pros and cons of locations. Uh, one of the disadvantages of where we are is not being able to have a tap room. You know. Well, that was going to be my last question. No, like, I preempt you. It feels like that's the missing piece in the puzzle. Like, would you ever consider opening a tap room? I'll never say never. Where um, would you, Where would you love to do it? In this graveyard that we're sitting in. <laughs> We are sat in the churchyard opposite the uh, opposite the brewery. We were opposite the brewery originally, and we we relocated uh, because of. Uh, you were getting in the way of everyone trying to make finish off making beer. People were trying to put things in lorries. Yeah. It's not not conducive to podcast recording. But seriously though, like if you could um, if you could open a little bar, have some fresh beer on tap, burning sky, uh, hanging above the doorway, where would you like to do it? Oh, I don't know. But I mean, if we did, if we ever did do it, it wouldn't be like some bar that was open every day of the week. You know, it'd always be, it'd be like we are a bit sort of, yeah, a bit, I don't know, a bit Belgian maybe. Yeah, and yeah, you probably have to take your shoe off before you enter and surrender it to get a pint and stuff. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, of course, I'd like it to be somewhere that felt like people were coming to, you know, where the beer's made. But you know, we do, you've been to. You, through the village you know we can't really i wouldn't want to get on the people's who live here nerves any more than i probably already do it'd be difficult if we could find somewhere in a sort of rural location maybe but you know i think we've the last 18 months have given us enough to worry about i say never say never but not quite yet well i'll be back down here to to furl or, or lewis or brighton wherever you end up going with it uh, as soon as it opens if it opens when it opens but i think that's a a nice place to leave it thank you so much for coming on the podcast and giving giving thank me a few you. minutes of your time thank cheers you very much man. thanks for listening to that interview folks As I said, it's always a pleasure to be able to sit down with someone like Mark and just chat casually about beer and brewing and life. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Just a reminder that if you'd like to participate in our Q&A episode, email me a question about beer or this podcast or about cider to matthew at pellicalmag.com and I'll do my best to answer it in the next episode. But you know I do like to go on a bit, so I'll try and fit in as many as I possibly can. And just a reminder that this podcast and Pellicle as a whole is supported via your donations through Patreon. Now, Pellicle will always be free to read for everyone. That's something I believe in strongly. I don't want to put a paywall up or put content that's exclusive to subscribers. My belief is that the website should be free for everyone, but the people who do subscribe, they are the ones that make it free for everyone. And so everyone can enjoy this great content. And it most importantly means we can pay our contributors a fair rate for their work. We're hoping to put our rates up. Our target date to do that is May the 1st, 2022, our third birthday. We need to get over the £3,000 a month mark to do that. So if you can donate a little bit, please go to patreon.com forward slash pellicalmag to sign up. And there's some perks for some of the tiers, like we've got some free goodies you can get. And if you're a business and you subscribe to one of our pro tiers, you get your logo on our website and a shout out on social media as well. And hopefully there'll be a few more things to announce in that regard in the future. But for now, I just want to thank you for listening to yet another episode. I'll be back in two or three weeks with this Q&A episode. So you can ask me a question and we can chew through some topics in whatever is uh, burning a hole in the back of your mind. Until then... 
You've been listening to The Pellicle Podcast. I'm Matthew Curtis, and I'll catch you next time. Mm-hmm.